if you will, and if you have a Bible, if you'd like to, otherwise you can listen, you can turn to Matthew 1. We're going to look at the real reason of Christmas. And uh, I know when, when I grew up, you know, Christmas was about Christ. And there was no discussion about, you know, where does Jesus have his place in this holiday? Today, a little bit different, quite a bit different, where people get offended. But the roots of Christmas go way back, and there is a real reason for this season. And I think it's important for us to know what this season is about, because really this season should govern the whole year, and should really govern your whole life. Now, somebody might think, yeah, I like presents. I don't mean get presents all year long, but the reason for Christmas is huge. And uh, we need to look at it, and I'm going to, as I was praying and getting ready, we're going to look at a different aspect of Christmas. So maybe we'll read some of the same stories you know, but we're going to target a certain statement and a certain thing. And so if you will, in Matthew 1, the first chapter in the 18th verse, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And so if you picture this is a couple thousand years ago, um, the people of Israel have had a promise that a savior would come that would deliver them. And at the time that Jesus came, Rome was ruling over Israel. They weren't even ruling over themselves. Jesus came in a time that was not the most favorable. As a matter of fact, there were probably a lot of things that are like today back then. In other words, Israel didn't even really rule over their own nation, but it was God's place, and Jesus came and was born there. It says, now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, or promised to him, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you know, how did Jesus come? He was born through a virgin birth. He was conceived in a woman by not natural means. And he came, and the Bible said, it said, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You think about this back then. Back in those days, you know, a lot of what we see here because of the religious influence of Judaism, people did not get pregnant before marriage. That was like, whoa. If somebody found out that their you know, spouse was pregnant, you know, they could put them away. They could make a public spectacle of them. You'd be an outcast. Today, society doesn't think like that. But back then, they expected people to be moral. They were trying to get ready for the coming of the Lord. And all of a sudden, this guy who has promised to get married to this woman who he thought, man, she is great. I mean, she is actually of royal lineage and he's going to marry her, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. And what I think is so interesting about Joseph is what he could have done and what he didn't do. He, he, didn't, he didn't 
cast a shadow upon her. He could have openly put her to shame and said, she's done dishonor to me. And he was a just guy. We would say it like this. He had some moral fiber, moral character to him. He wasn't just wanting to look, make, make other people look bad. And boy, he could have done it. But one thing that's interesting, even in our own lives, it's, it's always good not to make others look bad. But he didn't know the whole story. He didn't know what was all together going on. So he didn't just say everything he could have, like, she had to be cheating on me. She had to be doing this. And so what happened was when he found out, he sat there and began to contemplate what his choices were and how he could put her aside, separate her from her, and at the same time not embarrass her. And so it says this in verse 20. And while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So I don't know how that exactly happened, but he really saw an angel. Boy, that would be something wild. You know, you're thinking about, I'm going to get this lady out of my life who has done something that is dishonorable, and all of a sudden, bam, an angel appears. It wasn't like he was seeing angels every week. It wasn't like he just went, oh yeah, it's another angel. I mean, this is a first. And an angel appears to him, and it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Boy, how would you like that announcement? I mean, this is real. I mean, you're getting ready to get rid of this lady, and the Lord appears to you and said, uh, what's in her didn't happen from a man. And he's thinking, who's she been with? And God ran interference and said, don't, don't call it off. What's happening right now is something holy. And really, this is what the Christmas story is about. It's about something holy. It's about something real. It's about miraculous things happening. Whether people, you know, believe in the miraculous, it's amazing to me how many people uh, look down on certain miraculous things, but they'll go to a fortune teller tomorrow. You know what I mean? Or, or they'll, you know, go to an astrologer or different things. But the miraculous is real. Man hungers for the miraculous only the intellect tries to throw it aside because the miraculous is from God. There is real stuff out there. And this was happening and did happen. And it, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Joseph, don't be afraid. What's been, what she has conceived is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, she's carrying something from God. Then 21 is where I wanted to get to. It says this, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Man, you know, how many people try to figure out what they're going to name their first kid, their second kid? You know, if it's a girl, I'm going to do this, and if it's a boy, I'm going to do it's Danielle or Daniel. There was no option. You're, you're going to have a boy. Think of it. You're going to... 
hey, we, we, we all wait for an ultrasound. This, they didn't have them. This angel said, you're going to have a boy, and here's what you're going to call him. You're going to call him Jesus. And notice what it said next. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, to all people, you know, who just casually read this, to hear this child, this innocent baby, is going to save people from their sins was kind of like, cool, we're having a baby. Uh, he's going to save the world from their sins. What did that mean to a Jewish person? To us, you know, if you had an announcement, oh, your child's going to be this, you know, and, and he's going to do this, he gets the news, your child is going to save the world and his people, those who come to him, from their sins. What does that mean? I mean, in a religious sense, yay team. You know what I mean? But really, what did this mean? You know, when we have babies, we think, you know, oh, a doctor, a lawyer, I wonder what he's going to grow up to be. I wonder how their first birthday is going to be. I wonder how their fifth birthday is going to be. I wonder what they'll do. I wonder how they'll be a parent and you start dreaming about their future. He basically said, what's in her is from God. And when he said he's going to save his people from his, their sins, he basically said, he's coming to be a sacrifice for man. Period. Because they knew, all the Jewish people knew, the only way that sins could be ever cleansed from a human being was through an animal sacrifice. Some kind of shedding of blood. The Bible said without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sins. And what's interesting, they had known as a religious group that sins could be covered by the animals, but this sacrifice would not cover sins. He would remove them. There's a big difference. Because if this was all chipped up and looked dirty, I could say, hey, we can't have this up here. Put a tablecloth on it. And all we would do is cover what's there. But what he was going to do was not cover something in a person's life. He was going to remove something from people's lives. And so the first announcement is you're going to have a baby. And right in this, he basically said, oh, and your baby will be a sacrifice for the world. Whoa. I mean, you know, we look at the precious Jesus, you know, we think away in a manger, you know, and we sing all the songs and we think he was born in a stable, in a manger. You know, a manger is a neat name, but it literally means like a feed trough. He was put in a feed trough. This glamorous Lord, this king of all, gets no room in the inn, ends up in a feed trough. What a picture. A feed trough. And what, what he was going to supply for people who were hungry, who wanted help, who wanted to be free, who wanted to know God. He was being laid out there, and he said, this that is born is going to be sacrificed.
Now turn, or if you're looking, or you can just listen to John 1, 29. Another interesting verse of, of his introduction in life. And how would you like to be uh, introduced as the lamb? Or introduced, because when, when a lamb or a sacrifice was mentioned, it was connected to death. And so Jesus on his birth, he was introduced to his parents. And, you know, this guy is going to grow and then going to suffer for others. I mean, what a weight, what a load to be put upon parents who are like, yay, whoa. And as a matter of fact, Mary heard different things and said she just hid them all in her heart. And she would contemplate them, it said, as Jesus grew and as he lived his life. So right here, we're going to look at another verse in John 1. And we'll look at the 29th verse. Jesus has grown now. He's about three and a half years from the end of his life where he will be crucified. Now, it's interesting, he's been introduced to the family as the Savior, but they really haven't put it out there for the world to know. I mean, who's going to listen? You got this little baby, and you go tell all your neighbors, the king is the Messiah born to me. You know how many people are going to go, yeah, right, we just accept that. No. Now, there were spiritual things happening. You know, there was a time when some wise men, some magi saw a star, and they realized a king was born. So they went to seek him out. And when they were inquiring, a king heard and said, there's another king born. And he said to these magi, when you find out where he's at, tell me so I can go worship him too. What's interesting is he had no plans to worship him. He was threatened. He wanted to kill him. What a way to start off as the savior of the world. I mean, your baby is now hunted. And so they go and they see him. They, you know, Mike shared in the offering about the gifts that were given. They gave those gifts to Jesus, and they were about to leave, and some angels came and appeared to them and said, don't go back and tell the king. He's going to seek the life of this Jesus. Go back a different way. Isn't it interesting? When they had an encounter, they left a different way. You know, anybody who has an encounter with God will leave a different way. And here they are, and they think, well, we'll go back because who wouldn't want to worship this newborn king? And he's thinking, he's going to take this natural throne away from me. Jesus wasn't aspiring to a natural throne. We know that when he was tempted. The devil said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll turn this kingdom over to you. He wasn't looking for an earthly kingdom. He was looking for a heavenly kingdom. And he was looking for subjects who would commit to him and be born into this new kingdom. And so he wasn't looking for a natural kingdom, even though this king felt threatened. 
Jesus grew. He's about 30 years old. There's this guy named John the Baptist, if you ever heard of him. And he's the guy who got his head cut off for standing up for the truth. That's a Halloween costume. And um, anyway, just a thought, you know, because like when churches do those things and they're like, just dress up religious, nothing scary. Not trying to suggest anything. Anyway... So here, John the Baptist is preaching. He's been preaching for a while. Repent, there's a king who is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He came back then. He's coming again. It's just as strong the first time he came as the second time when he comes. And he said, when John's out there baptizing people in water, it's interesting how he now is going to introduce Jesus to the world. Verse 29, the next day, John 1, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an amazing statement. First, he's an infant and they said he's going to remove their sins. They all knew when they heard that He's a, this is, you're telling me this baby's going to be a sacrifice? Now Jesus is about to enter into ministry, and the first thing he hears in his public proclamation by this man, John, who everybody believed he was a prophet, everybody believed he was preparing the way of the Messiah, and the first time he publicly points at Jesus and said, he is it. He said he's the lamb. Well, what does that mean, the lamb? You know, we think of a lamb. Oh, cute little lamb. Back then, when those people heard of a lamb, they heard sacrifice. They heard payment for somebody else. They heard that this would fix me. That's what they heard. So when we think of Christmas, what we should think about is he can fix me. He can help me. He can change a community. I mean, you know, I had not done this for years and, and uh, shared my personal testimony last Sunday, but I used to be a drug addict. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to do all kinds of things. I was not the nicest person uh, or the most likely to succeed. And on September 10th, 1985, when I committed my life to the Lord, I was instantly delivered. Never had a drink since then. I don't condemn people who have a drink. The desire disappeared. You know, I've been pulled over. I, I enjoy this. I, those places where the police set up a road check, because I always get to witness to the policeman. They're like, have you been drinking? You know, because they ask everybody, when was the last time you had a drink? I'm all, the last time I had a drink was September 9th, 1985. I got born again. I gave my life to the Lord, and he said, you can go ahead and go. <laughs> Just move on. I'm like, yeah, I haven't drinking, and they're like, go ahead. But I didn't try. Nobody told me you have to quit. I tried on my own. And so what people need to understand is if we could tell people the real reason for this holiday, people would have hope. 
and that he can fix anybody. And if, he, if people would commit to him or we would tell the people, then we could get a lot of people changed by him. And, you know, and I don't, I don't say this to condemn anybody whatsoever. I'm not perfect. Um, I know I look perfect, but I'm not. That was a joke. Okay. We'll just move on. But I haven't cussed since September 10th, 1985 either. And I used to cuss. I, you know, I remember this, not, not a joke. I remember one time somebody said, pardon my French. You remember, yeah, anybody remember when they used to say, pardon my French? Pardon my French? Because they were cussing a lot. I remember telling one guy, I said, if, uh, if that's French, I'd get an A in school. Because I cussed all the time. Nobody told me to quit cussing. I mean, if we want the world to be changed, we need to tell them there is an answer, a real living Savior that somebody can encounter for themselves. Now I'll say this, if you've cussed, don't be condemned. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we can come in contact with God and he'll start to do a work in our lives. And it's real. And, and I know that even though there were some big dramatic changes in my life, there were still plenty more and there are still plenty more that can change. And, but it's going to be with him. And so when John the Baptist said this, and said, on the next day, Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He was basically saying, hey, this one right here, who you see, and he's been baptizing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, points him out, and he said, this one right here is a lamb. That's a different statement. And he will lift sin and remove sin from individuals' hearts and their lives. But he had to be sacrificed. He had to die. And so even though, you know, this time of year is the introduction to Christ's life, and Easter is the death and resurrection of Christ's life, we really need to know what he did and who he is. You can really get to know him personally. That was one of the most fascinating things to me when I gave my life to the Lord after growing up in religion and then going into the world, then giving my life to the Lord, that I could actually know him and he would actually deal with me. Like, I didn't have to be my own conscience. I didn't have to be my own guide. That once I started walking with him... He would deal with me. And I would venture to say it's true with everybody who will attempt to walk with him. If you do, he'll start dealing with you. And then, and it won't be some big audible voice. Would it be nice? Sure. Occasionally I would have liked that along the way. Just, you know, an angel appearing. <laughs> I needed that right now. But he has dealt with me over the years and he deals with all of his people. And Revelation, I'm going to read just a couple more verses, but Revelation 1 uh, is kind of the progression of that lamb, 
who was introduced at birth, who was introduced to his family at birth, or right before his birth as the lamb, the sacrifice, the one who would die. Then he was introduced to society, and then eventually he was killed on a cross to bear the weight of emptiness and sin for humanity. Man, I wish somebody would have told me that. You know, uh, when I was hungry for a change in my life, thinking there's got to be more, there has to be more to life. I used to lay in bed and think, what is going on? There's got to be more. And a friend finally told me. And, he, and, and I remember thinking, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Isn't it strange? You want to hear something that helps you but you don't want to hear the things sometimes that helps you. But it doesn't matter. Once I heard it, something took root in me and started to grow. And I started realizing there's got to be more to life. And I know this, anybody who's hungry and desirous to be fulfilled in life, God's got his hand on you. He will work to draw you to himself. He will work to get you to a place where you can surrender to him, come into a living relationship with him, and really get to know him. Where it's not just uh, another religious rule, uh, another religious thing you have to do. No, it becomes a living reality. And so most people are familiar with the book of Revelation because, you know, it's the book that everybody tries to read and doesn't understand about these heads and these dragons and this war and this thing that happens. And, uh, but it's, it, it's not that hard, I think, after you've read it a hundred times. No. I mean, I've read it I don't know how many times and it gets clearer every time. But there are some things that are extremely clear. Like when John, when he got this vision... He had lived around the Lord. He had walked with him in ministry for three and a half years. But when the Lord appeared to him this time, there was in a power he didn't know when Jesus was on the earth. Even though Jesus did miracles and there was power, this was a power beyond what he knew. Because never before did John or any of the disciples just all fall down at his appearance. Just him walking up. Now, there were times when it, there were certain experiences and things happened, but Jesus appears and it said he fell down like somebody dead. Boom. I mean, because the power of God was so strong. But then when he came up, this statement happens. And it really goes in line with the Lamb, the suffering one, the purpose of Jesus. It says this, I am he... Who lives? I was dead. Remember the promise. This one is going to die for people. He's going to be a lamb. He's going to have to suffer. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. There's another amen. They say a lot of amens around here. What's their problem? Jesus even said amen. Hey, watch it. No. But truthfully, what is amen? It just means so be it, or that's the way it is. 
And so when he got done speaking, I guess if I say amen, I'm not on bad ground because he just was in the middle of the conversation. He said, I am he who lives. I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. What does that mean? That's the way it is. So be it. I will be alive forevermore. And then it goes on to say, and I have the keys of Hades and death or hell and the grave. In other words, he had the way out. He was the way out. And I'm going to read this one last set of scriptures in Romans, the 10th chapter. Because I think when we're looking at him as the lamb and realizing what he did in giving his life at this time, you know, we celebrate his coming, but his coming was for the purpose of being a sacrifice. To give his life away for others. And so right here in Romans, the 10th chapter, I'll begin reading in the ninth verse. And I think this verse of scripture right here is probably one of the biggest verses that the world could ever know. You know, you can know about he died, he rose again, and you can say, oh, yes, that, that's true. Or you can realize, man, God's making this message real, and it can be real to you without becoming real for you. And this verse, these verses right here are technically, this verse can make it real for anybody. This, this is what the world needs. This is what everybody needs. You know, when you get a ticket for an airplane, you're supposed to go somewhere. You know, I had a friend, or he's still my friend, who is a missionary to India, and I've been over there and preached over there and uh, taught in a school and got to spend time with this guy, and he was telling me, one, one time he was coming back to the United States without his wife uh, to do some preaching in some churches to help raise some support. And he said he bought a ticket, and over there you just don't do everything on the internet. And so he bought this ticket, and so this ticket was going to get him from there to here. And he said, I had it for a, a month or so, and he said, as I was praying, uh, he said, I, I just thought there's something wrong. What is wrong? I know I need to go back to the United States. Something is wrong. And he had this impression that the ticket uh, he had was not going to get him where he needed to go. He knew that flight, something was wrong. So he literally went to the airport and went to get the ticket changed. So he got a new ticket for the very next day on the exact same flight. Flight number, everything. And really, when we think about Jesus, and we're about to read this verse, this verse is the right ticket. And without this ticket, you end up somewhere else. Even though you know all the information. So anyway, this guy literally did not take that flight, but took the flight the next day. What's so interesting is the flight he was on, and he kept the ticket in his Bible as a bookmark. That ticket for that plane 
that he would have been on was hijacked. Well, I'd say God helped him out. So he told me, he said, look, I keep this in my Bible all the time to remind me about God leading us, God wanting to help us, how I could have been on that plane that was hijacked, but I wasn't. And, and here's the thought, though. What is the ticket that everybody needs? And if there aren't a lot of verses, this is the one, and we're going to close with this. Romans 10.9, he said that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or that he's the payment, that he is your Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice you don't work for it, you believe he died. You really believe he's the lamb. You believe he did what he said. And then you confess him as Lord, and it said you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What an interesting verse. If a person not gets baptized, not come, becomes a member of a church, not gives all their money away, but all they do is believe that Jesus died. And you know what I found? A lot of people believe that. But some have not taken the next step to express with their mouth what they believe in their heart and declare him as Lord. It's like this. When a person gets married, part of the marriage is they believe the person's the right one, but then, you know, if they live together, they'll say, oh, we're, we're just, we're married in the sight of God. No, no. No, you're married when you say, will you marry me? And you make that commitment. And so being religious doesn't make you saved. But believing the right way is the first step. The second part is making the commitment with your mouth, declaring his lordship. And he said, anybody who does that, and what's so cool is then you're, you don't have to be perfect. All you have to do is believe and declare.